Welcome to the Elemental Awakening. Welcome everyone to another episode of Elemental Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Gio, and today I have a special guest, Alex Doer, or Doer, depending on how you, what part of the world you're from, you may pronounce it differently. He's the founder of a company called Mushroom Revival, and uh, he's here today to tell us a bit about enlighten us a bit about mushrooms in general and tell us a bit about his story and how he um, became a mycologist um, and uh, got into mushrooms and and how I think and he will tell us about how mushrooms can have the potential to change the world so Alex welcome thank you thank you so much for bringing me on uh, it's it's an honor yeah so I, I guess the best place to start on a podcast is let's get to know a bit about you tell us about you know what's your backstory and how you got to do the things you do today? What what brought you to become a uh, founder of a mushroom company? You know, I've, I'm always wanting to ask the mushrooms this question of, you know, what is the story of how you inoculated Alex Dorr? And, uh, and, and I want to hear it from the, the fungi's perspective, because really, it doesn't seem like I had a choice. It really seems like I was chosen for this initiation process and signed my life away. There's no turning back. And, you know, I, I got into it through my own health journey and I grew up not knowing what healthy eating was. I ate pizza and mac and cheese probably daily, uh, lack of vegetables, you know, um, and no vegetables on the pizza. There's tomatoes on there, right? This is the, the no pepperoni diet, right? pizza. I mean, it was a Mac craft Mac and cheese. I mean, it was, it was bad. Like, you know, um, and pharmaceutical, I mean, just didn't know really the world of health and it wasn't part of my upbringing, but until, you know, I got diagnosed with chronic anxiety, chronic depression, Lyme disease growing up and really committed myself from that point to live a healthier way of life. And so I got into yoga, I got into healthy eating, Qigong and, and all the works, right. Of all these modalities to try to improve and support my my well-being and through that journey i i you know through my studying and all that stuff i i found the supportive aspects of functional mushrooms for overall health and well-being and you know through that journey and through that my own personal experience of utilizing functional mushrooms to support my health i read every book that i could i you know dove head first into the mushroom realm and found out they could clean up oil spills. They can create new styrofoams. They can create faux meat. They can, you know, create new dyes, all this crazy stuff. And no one was talking about it, at least in my circle. And um, most people in North America were just not really talking about it as much as I, I thought they should, right? And there are parts of the world that have such a rich history with mushrooms like China or a lot of European countries. Uh, but in North America, it's, it's pretty sparse, right? There are some history, but most of which has been erased or just not really uh, embraced as much as I, I think it should. And so, you know, I took every class, every internship, read every single book that I could I literally dropped all every dime that I had on every book uh, that I could buy on mushrooms and just had stacks arrive to my house. And it would, that's what I would do. I would read, pay, you know, cover to cover, go out mushroom hunting for hours a day and 
cover like my dining room and kitchen table with mushrooms and try to ID as many as possible before they all rotted. And my roommates at the time would get so mad because we'd have like all these rotting mushrooms all over the house. And they'd be like, wait, I'm not done. I haven't ID'd that, that part of the table yet, you know? And um, yeah, and it, it, it really it really came to a, to a pinpoint when I was in Ecuador and I did a field study there studying different biodiversity and different ecosystems. And there was a point in the journey where, you know, I was there for months and we were, you know, we're in the Amazon rainforest. So obviously there's tons of mushrooms, like unbelievable amount of mushrooms and the biodiversity of them are astounding. The colors, the shapes, the sizes, you're finding some that are half the size of your pinky fingernail and then some that are bigger than your arm's length, you know? And it's, it's like, wow, and all these colors and morphologies and was actually studying atta ants or leaf cutter ants is what most people know them as or uh, those ants that you see going in a line carrying leaves on their back. Mm -hmm. And most people don't know, they're actually carrying those leaves back to their nest, uh, nibbling them up into a mushy leaf ball and growing fungus on them. Um, and they do that as their sole food source. So they're mushroom farmers and they, they do that to feed the colony of ants. So we're studying, you know, how, how many leaves do they take back to their nest to transform into this fungal biomass? And so you just sit there also, with like a clicker all day and just like, yeah, we would actually oh. set up cameras and do time lapses and then go back and count how many ants would go back wow. and then we would pick random leaf specimens and weigh them on like a, a super fine scale and then get an average. And um, it was fun. It was really Zen. It was, it was great. And was also finding cordyceps, which if people don't know, you might've seen them if you've watched planet earth or any BBC kind of night on earth documentary there, there's probably a cordyceps section. And they're mushrooms that pop out of insects' heads, and they're right out of a sci-fi film. So I was finding dozens of those, dozens, even hundreds of them, um, when I was exploring, and that was blew my mind. Literally, it was just like this is insane. And it really wasn't until we were at this specific research station, and it was the most biodiverse region on the planet. So it was number one biodiverse region on the planet. And it was also home to uh, the Warani people, which is a, a really famous Ecuadorian tribe uh, in Ecuador. And it was also the site for an oil drilling um, site. And these, these, uh, this oil drilling company came in and really displaced uh, this tribe's way of life and really just disrupted their health, their well-being, their way of life in so many different ways. And I got to see that firsthand and, and interview, you know, multiple generations of, of this specific um, region of this tribe and also saw these unlined pits of oil just sitting in the Amazon rainforest. And I stumbled upon it and I don't think I was supposed to be there. There was guards with like fully automatic rifles guarding certain areas and they weren't looking at that specific area at that time they drove away and I don't think I was supposed to see it and but I did and it it really stuck with me it was just it, the smell and it was a 
it was almost a mile away and I could see the, the fumes come up and just, you know, that rainbow colored murky oil pit and it just, it reeked, you know, and it was just toxic at the same time as I was reading that mushrooms and fungi can actually clean up oil spills and, and degrade them into, you know, um, organic matter and, and really transform ecosystems. So it, that was like, wow, mushrooms can save the world. Right. So I went back home, changed my major to mycology and ended up writing, um, a 230 page book on microremediation. So how fungi can degrade toxic waste in the environment. Um, and that was my final thesis in school. And after school, I was like, okay, I can do more. Right. Um, and how do I find the perfect balance between paying my bills, doing something I love, doing something I'm good at and doing something that the world needs. And so that was the, the first creation for mushroom revival. Uh, and we're a dietary supplement company and the whole mission was to revive people's health and also the planet's health. So today on, on, we're recording on earth day in 2021, and we just planted 10,000 trees in the Amazon rainforest. And it, it just comes full circle of, you know, we're making products uh, with functional mushrooms to support people's health and well-being, And at the same time, supporting the biodiversity of the planet that we're on, right? Uh, we're not separate from the planet. We are one with the world around us. So, so um, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Wow, super inspiring. I love that. Okay, so tell me a bit about the company. So you go from super passionate student of mushrooms in the Amazon jungle, seeing you know some of the uh, atrocities of capitalism and then coming back inspired. How did the company actually start, like get off the ground? Was it like hobby started selling at farmers markets what's that story because it doesn't sound like you went to business school which is always an interesting leap from a passion into the yeah. business world so tell me a bit about that story and how that sort of unfolded i am not a business person whatsoever and i'm i'm having to take my mba uh in a speed round real world <laughs> mba uh and and it's super interesting you know because with any passion it, you could really see how interconnected the world is because i have to be I'm really into mushrooms and through that passion, now I'm a master in, in business. I'm a master in photography. I'm a master in podcasting. I'm a blah, 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 X, Y, Z. And you just, yeah, you got to be a jack of all trades and you really see that you cannot be interested in one single thing. Um, and by being interested in one thing, you're interested in life itself. And so, you know, I've, I've taken some, some business classes and, uh, but it's really just been, yeah, let's, let's go for it. You know, uh, let's do it. Let's try it. Fail forward a million times. I can't even tell you how many times we've failed miserably and just, it's all about getting back up. I know your pain. Yeah. 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 And, it, it, and it's there's always a passion like, that drives it, right. There's a passion that drives to keep going because, you know, for you sure. And, and, and you're always, doing a new thing and super excited about it. Like, wow, we're so sophisticated now. And then a month later, you're looking back at that stage. You're like, oh my God, how embarrassing. I can't believe we did that. And it's, it's always that journey. Right. And you're it's just evolution. two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And, and um, yeah. And, and it, it was really helpful to have some industry experience 
So having a background in mycology, just in academia, but also, you know, if I've worked in many different mushroom farms all around the world and have that background of commercial production, extraction, um, you know, selling products, things like that. So I, I do have real world experience with uh, the whole mushroom industry. So that was super helpful with going into this uh, is be and with my passion. And it almost gives me a leg up from someone straight out of business school who doesn't have experience 100%. in the mushroom industry trying to start their own. Um, and so, you know, we started small. It started in my, my living room and then my basement and then, you know, it just kept expanding in, in different rooms of the house until my. So, were you selling actual mushrooms? Were you selling tinctures? How did you decide which products to sell? Like, tell me a bit about that process there. Cause living yeah. room, the growth, yeah. What was that based on? Was were you like testing the market, seeing what people liked, guessing? Yeah, we started with tinctures. I have an herbalism background. So, that is something I'm comfortable with. And it is some it is a type of product that I consume on a daily basis, many many times a day. Uh, but we really started with growing Cordyceps militaris, which is a type of mushroom that supports energy and uh, athletic performance and and things like that. And it was a mushroom that has been popular for thousands of years, but it's very new to the U.S. And I was one of the first growers ever in the United States to start growing this mushroom. And through the years of, of growing the business, we actually made the largest Cordyceps Militaris mushroom farm in, in the Americas and the only, and the first USDA certified organic Cordyceps Militaris mushroom wow. farm. And it's, yeah. So that was our bread and butter. And that's what we started with actually like snuck into my university lab at midnight every day, trying to use their equipment to, to start up. And uh, how long ago is this? What are we talking time frame? Like it's been, it's you been look fairly young. I would say, you know, you're, you don't yeah. look that old. So tell me, tell me what's the time frame we're talking here. That was about three, three and a half years ago. So that you made um, the, the first organic farm or that you started the business. The first organic farm was 2019. And when I started the business, it was 2018. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, so, so fairly new. Starting cordyceps, making tinctures, um, bottling them. And then where's the customer base come from? Is it like farmer's markets? Are you going online? Like that's. We are 99.9% .9 online D2C. I'm young and that's what I know. I shop online and shopping in a brick and mortar store is really foreign to me and it seems so arduous and laborious. Um, I, and that's me, but you know, I'm, that's my generation. It, it, I'm all about how to, how do you get things as quick as possible? Right. And, and so that was, that's what I was familiar with. And so we just stuck with it and it worked great. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we, we are in stores across the country, but it's not our main focus. Uh, it's really easy for us to um, ship. You know, we have a small light product. It's it's pretty easy to ship all around the world. So, amazing, amazing. And and so did you just stick with cordyceps. And was cordyceps like what are some of the properties you said of cordyceps? You said it was energy focused. Was like a, like a pick me upper type thing. Yeah. So we work with ten different functional mushrooms. Cordyceps was our bread and butter. And still is, I mean, and it came from that obsession of seeing kind of cousin relatives in the Amazon rainforest and just being blown away at them. So 
really how they interact in the wild is they actually grow in bugs and that might freak a lot of people out. And it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, and one of the most famous species is actually called Ophiocordyceps sinescens, which is a cousin of the militaris that we grow and use. And it grows in the Himalayan um, region of Tibet at like 15,000 feet. And these foragers have to go out on their hands and knees and look for these tiny little twig-like mushrooms. Potent mushrooms from the Himalayas up, up that high. They are, and they're worth their weight in gold. Um, and they haven't figured out how to cultivate them. So this is a cousin species, Cordyceps militaris. They look like Cheeto looking mushrooms. And so some of the, the benefits, they support overall energy, athletic performance, and they've been used for athletes for, you know, as long as they've been around. And there's a couple of main compounds in Cordyceps militaris that are really famous. One being cordycepin, the other adenosine. And that works with our natural ATP process in our body. So ATP, adenosine triphosphate is, you know, uh, food for our mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell. I'm sure everyone is recapping their, their uh, high school biology class right now. But, you know, that is really, you know, cordyceps help support energy on the cellular level. And it's a natural form of energy. And it's different from coffee, where you're getting a short boost of energy and then you crash and burn, right? Doesn't coffee, caffeine fill the adenosine receptors in the brain to make you not feel tired and then the brain sort Yeah, of it actually like, suffocates your brain. Um, and it yeah. actually, it does almost pretty much the opposite of what cordyceps do, uh, where it actually suffocates the brain so your body thinks you're dying and will... Uh, bring you in a sense of flight or flight, fight or flight. So it's really draining for the two whole to, adrenal system. Two to three system. times a day for many people where it's like, hey. I know. Yeah. 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 And you're just like, ah, you know, revved up. And cortices work on the opposite way is where it's a natural process. It's, it's building and nourishing uh, for the whole body. And they're all functional mushrooms are adaptogens. And what adaptogens are, it's, it's a really, uh, famous word right now, and it's it's being thrown around a lot. What adaptogens are? They're herbs or mushrooms that help support our body's natural ability to deal with occasional stress and fatigue. I, for one, can use that on a daily basis, and I do, and that's why I love working with adaptogens and functional mushrooms, um, especially cordyceps and other mushrooms like lion's mane and reishi uh, and and chaga and and other functional mushrooms that we that we work with. Um, and then the other aspect of functional mushrooms of why they're so famous is that they help support our, our immune system. And so they're packed with, you know, notably these one, three, one, six beta glucans, which are just, you know, complex polysaccharides or long sugar chain like molecules that help, uh, support our, our immune system, which is also incredibly important and aids that, those um, supportive adaptogenic properties of, of mushrooms. So, yeah, so I guess I, I do take a personally a supplement myself that is mushroom based with cordyceps by one of the major brands in the industry. So I, I do kind of also swear by it as something that keeps me sort of healthy and keeps the immune system strong. So I totally agree. So I got a question around um, how, how the mushrooms are grown, you know, because like you mentioned, the potency in the Himalayas 
um, versus, um, you know, are, are your, are your farms outdoor, indoor, or I know you said organic, sometimes organic can mean like just without pesticides, but is organic grown outside versus inside the same sort of thing when it comes to yeah, mushrooms? So yeah, so it depends on the species, right? So some mushrooms can be grown indoors and they actually thrive better indoors. Uh, Cordyceps militaris does great indoors and they're really particular about their climate. So they need to be climate controlled. However, a lot of our other mushrooms like reishi are grown outdoors and they have shade cloths and their, their logs uh, buried underground and, and the reishi kind of pop up. Um, on the mountainside and they're beautiful. And then chaga, you know, grow naturally on birch trees. And so that, you know, there's a protected forest that, you know, um, has been protected from pesticide use and, and can be certified USDA organic. And these are pretty strict regulations, the USDA organic um, certifications and being USDA certified organic, you know, you have to also be non-GMO as well. And through our process, we only use the, the fruiting bodies. And what that means is the, the actual mushroom itself. And there's a lot of companies, especially in North America, um, where a lot of companies will use something called mycelium or mycelium on grain. And that's just the roots of the mushroom itself. And a lot of times, unfortunately, there are zero mushrooms in those products. And some of the most famous brands that you know, there are no mushrooms in there. Um, and some of them had to change their, their packaging to write you know, mycelium on grain, but some of them are still promoting their products as mushrooms where there are zero mushrooms surprisingly in the product. And so are there no benefits to the mycelium? Like does mycelium doesn't do anything or is there, is there any benefit to, to consuming mycelium? Yeah, mycelium is great, and and it's a it's definitely a, a a huge proponent and a part of the fungal organism. However, for a nutraceutical and a dietary supplement, the compounds in particular that we're looking for, they're you know a fraction of the amount in the mycelium on on grain gotcha. and the mycelium. So those those compounds that I'm talking about. Uh, and I talked about before the 1316 beta glucans for the immune support. Uh, those compounds are, are minimal in the mycelium on grain and, and barely even there. So they are there in, in very small amounts. So it's not like it's not doing anything. But, you know, if you're spending uh, large bucks on a, on a, a supplement, you, you really want uh, the most potent product, which is actual mushrooms, right? And actual um, fruiting bodies. And so, you know, for cordyceps in particular that, you know, you're, you're talking about that. I was just talking about, we tested, you know, the fruiting bodies versus the mycelium or the mycelium on grain for various different compounds. Um, and we found that the one, three, one, six beta glucans were 400 times more in the fruiting bodies compared to the mycelium on grain. Wow. Um, gram for little, gram. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. that's a that's, that's a, a ton, times. It's not even. It's it's not percent. It's four hundred times more potent. And then other compounds like cordycepin and adenosine that I was talking about for the energy support, we found that they were fifty-seven times more potent in the fruiting bodies compared to the mycelium. Adenosine adenosine was about seventeen times. Uh, amino acids were, were also a lot higher in, in the fruiting bodies. And this is, you know, mushroom to mushroom. It, it, it's 
it's pretty consistent and it's been tested by dozens of different labs all throughout does you know dozens so, of years so yes yeah, so like like in most food products or nutraceutical products they have like a label that says how much of everything is in it are these certain things that you can make claims on and say like hey there's x many times more in here or we've lab tested to say like we have this x amount of beta-glucans or adenosine in a product is that something that yeah and you- and we do we're we're actually one of the only companies in the world that has a QR code that you can see our lab results. Most cool. most companies actually hide their lab results of because of what I just said. And if you ask them, they will, you know, if you ask them on social media, they will delete your account. They'll delete your comments and block you. Wow. Uh, and yeah, and and if you ask them, they'll give you a, a weird response that doesn't really answer your questions. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for dietary supplements, they should have, they should be totally transparent with their lab results. And, um, and we are, we, we have a QR code. We're not hiding anything. We're super confident in, in our extractions and our potency. Um, and we want to show the world and, and it's not only like, look how good we are. It's, it's also, it's also creating a, an industry standard, right? Of, that's great. We want we want everyone to do it, and we I think want we should have transparency in every industry across the board. You know, totally. That's, I think we live in a world where that's a rare occurrence, and I think a lot of people and the planet are suffering because of everything that is is trying to hide, most likely to cut corners to make more money. In my opinion, in most cases, yeah. um, because the world has kind of been designed to push for profits um, over totally. you know the people and the planet. But, yeah. but I'm a firm believer and one of my sort of missions and passions is to sort of create and inspire a generation of entrepreneurs that find that balance where a little bit of profit is okay, but balanced with everything else that we're trying to do so that there is a planet left, you know, for my kids and grandkids. Um, so yeah, so I agree with that. And thank you for being so transparent with your products. Um, so I, I guess another question around uh, sustainability. You know, there's some some products are destroying the rainforest from a sustainability perspective, um, whether that's ease to reproduce, also, you know, I guess from a carbon footprint or um, pollution perspective. Tell me about the mushroom industry and specifically your process. Is it is it highly sustainable? I would think, you know, mushrooms can grow in, infinitely. Okay, so, so also, you know, like when we look at the psychedelic, um, industry as a whole, you know, things like psilocybin, I would say would be much more sustainable than ayahuasca, which is ripping up the rainforest in search of these big vines and um, harvesting at a rate that's unsustainable. So, so tell me a bit about the sustainability uh, and the impact on the environment from, you know, mushroom production. Totally. And mushrooms can be so sustainable and the opposite, like anything, right? And psilocybin mushrooms... I think 10,000 feet, you know, are unbelievably more sustainable than a lot of psychedelic uh, herbs or plants f- f- uh, like ayahuasca, for example, or the bufo toad, right? Um, or these toads that they're they're catching and then tying up, scraping the venom off, and so, or ayahuasca, which desert, takes yeah. so long to 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 grow, or peyote, which also is I think the slowest growing cacti in the world and, and all these other ones, psilocybin mushrooms takes like a month to grow. And with it's so cheap, so fast. 
uh, a lot of times they're grown in these, these unfortunately plastic tubs, but you can reuse those tubs for life. Right. And so uh, that's incredible. And with most mushroom production, unfortunately they're grown in single use bags and there are techniques that a lot of countries are, are pioneering which you can use these containers over and over. So one of the practices that we use in our cordyceps farm is to reuse these containers for life, right? And so no single use plastic or, or minimal um, is, is really, really important in these practices. And a lot of times they're grown outdoors with, with limited uh, environmental, environment controlled uh, systems. And so, you know, that they can be incredibly sustainable and fungi in the environment are one of the corners the keystones of our biodiversity, right? So soil fungi can sequester up to 80% of the soil carbon. Uh, and they are incredibly important for plant life, right? So mycorrhizal fungi, these fungi that connect to plant roots, they connect to up to 95% of terrestrial plants and are vital for their survival, right? And they help uh, get nutrients from the soil and pass it to the plants. They can uh, harvest water and hold it in drought seasons and slowly give it back to the plant. They create these underground internet connections between plant to plant so they can communicate and even transfer nutrients from one plant to another. And so fungi are inherently sustainable for the whole world. And like I was talking about before, they have the ability to degrade xenotoxins, really toxic uh, chemicals in our environment and create luscious ecosystems, right? And that's what they're doing. When a tree falls in the forest, they're, they're making sure those nutrients are available to other plants and, and uh, crucial for our, for our nutrient cycling. I've even seen articles online that say how it, it can eat plastic or even nuclear waste. They're seeing some, some fungi uh, can clean up, you know, and I think it was Chernobyl. They were seeing fungi growing and eating up some of the nuclear waste there. So, yeah, um, we, we, I'm actually the, the co-host of uh, the number one mushroom podcast in the world, mushroom revival podcast. And, and we've had a couple researchers come on talking about fungi's ability to, eat radioactive isotopes. And one of the main researchers in Chernobyl uh, came on our show and they found dozens of different species in Chernobyl only in only eating that radioactive waste, right? Fungi are incredibly uh, resilient. I mean, there's 69 different types of fungi found underneath the Pacific Ocean and one that was dormant for over 20 million years the spores and they planted the spores that actually grew a mushroom after 20 million years wow. underneath the ocean in hibernation there's dozens of fungi found in antarctica in the snow i don't know what they're eating or how they're surviving but they're they're doing it and even fungi have been have shown the ability to survive in space thrown out of a, a space station and brought on board after six months. I think yeah, I've, I've seen some theories of evolution that they came, we, we came here as mushrooms from another galaxy and, you know, started the whole yeah. thing. Cause I think we also share DNA with mushrooms. I'm pretty sure as well. So up to um, 50%, over 50% of our DNA is shared with fungi. And that theory is panspermia. So, you know, because of they can survive in these super radioactive spaces on 
you know, um, in space, in, in Chernobyl, it's not too far off to think that spores were in hibernation for 20 plus million years and an asteroid and hit earth and life evolved from there. You know, it's not too far out to think that. Right. Yeah. Had to come from somewhere. So yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So you mentioned a few specific mushrooms. I think you mentioned uh, reishi, uh, you mentioned chaga, you mentioned uh, cordyceps. Um, is there a ranking order that you would say like, Hey, like the top is like the reishi. Then you would say like chaga followed by cordyceps. Like I'm talking like power or preference of you. I'm trying to pick my words very carefully totally. here. <laughs> no, that's a great question. And it's a hard one to answer because it depends on who you're asking and what for, right? Uh, so if let's, long, about, let's start with like longevity overall. Longevity. Like, I would say reishi and that is because it's called the 10,000 year mushroom in, in traditional Chinese herbalism. And they actually rank it as the number one herb in traditional Chinese herbalism as like the top of the top, you know? And I heard a story that in ancient China, if anyone was caught taking it, they would cut their hands off if they weren't the Royal family using it. Cordyceps or, or, too. Cordyceps too. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So they were on super revered, super yeah. revered. And you know, they were first written in traditional Chinese herbalism around 20 AD. Uh, and that was one of the first times on planet Earth that fungi were actually written about in written texts. So, so okay, so longevity, then what about for like performance? Cordyceps? Cordyceps all day is, is for energy and athletic performance support. Um, I can't even say this word, but um, where would you think that chaga would fall in? What, what would that be a good sort of, would that ever rank at the top? Because for at one time, like people were telling me chagas and I used to go finding birch trees and hacking a little piece off. And I'll ask you a question about harvesting next. Yeah, but, um, please, please. I, you know, that subject is, is really important to talk about. And this is a little nerdy, but chaga is not technically a mushroom. It's technically a sclerotia. And that's, you know, uh, it's just a conch. Uh, it's just another word for it. So the mushroom actually comes later. And so it can be unsustainable if you harvest a lot of the chaga because that is not the reproductive organism. The reproductive state of a fungus is the mushroom, the fruiting body. And that comes later once the tree falls and actually creates um, a, a mushroom in between the bark of this birch tree. And it looks not like a normal mushroom that you know, the cap and stem. And chaga has been known for its immune support. And uh, a lot of it, it's super tasty as well. So people will make teas and, you know, even a coffee replacement or blend it with their coffee and it's super, super tasty. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite, favorite tasting uh, functional fungi out there. So, so can you farm chaga? Like, is there a way to sort of, or is that like a proprietary process? Tell me about that. Because I always thought it only grows wild. You get lucky if you find one, don't take it all, leave some behind. Um, tell, tell me about that. Educate me on the process and what. Yeah, to, you, yeah, you can. And there are only a few people doing it in the world. Uh, they're doing it in Finland. They're doing it in, in various parts of uh, Siberia. And that's where we get all of our chaga. It's not, you know, I'd love to get it more locally, but they have programs in Siberia set up to where you need a permit to harvest it. 
and you can only harvest X amount um, of, of the chaga and then you have to report it to an agency and they go in and they, they plant new birch trees and inoculate it with chaga. Uh, and there's a whole system set up there. So, so if a birch tree US, has chaga in it. Is it in the process of dying? Is it infected with like a fungus or a host? Is it like eating the tree or taking energy from the tree? Kind of just a tiny bit when the, the tree is alive and it's not enough to, to make it a, a pure parasite, right? The tree is still vibrant, is still living. Um, and the, and the fungi will just take a tiny bit just to survive, but not enough to really harm the tree. It's only when the tree is becomes sick or it's in its final days that the chaga will turn into a parasite and, and really kill off the tree. So you can think of it like, you know, end of life care. <laughs> it's a, it's a quick way out. And, you know, uh, and that's where, uh, and we're still understanding that life cycle because it is a little ominous right now. And so we're, we're still figuring out what is going on with, with chaga and the birch tree. And a lot of the compounds come from the birch tree, like betulinic acid, and there's a few other famous ones. And so when, when uh, companies, like we're talking about that mycelium on grain, you can't get it from grain, right? And so mm. those, those compounds of interest, if you're, if you're growing mycelium on grain in a sterile laboratory, they've done studies that there's zero if, if uh, levels of these compounds, if, if not super neg negligible for betulinic acid and, and like compounds that are super famous for chaga. So it is important to get that sclerotia from a birch tree and try to do it and as sustainably as possible. Can you hurt the tree by taking it off improperly? Like, is there a way to damage the tree or anything like that? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a pickaxe to it, you know, or, uh, you know, hack away at it. And it will leave a spot where other parasitic, um, you know, things can get into that wound. But trees have a natural, just like, you know, for our body, we, we create scabs and it, it will heal over, but it, it will create a space where other things can get in uh, to that wound. Yeah, last fall, a couple of friends, we were up north in Algonquin Park in Ontario, and um, we got a bit I got a bit lost, and I thought, in the corner of my eye, there was a monkey on the tree, and there was this massive chaga, like literally the size of my head. I'm not a hunter, I'm not a fisher, like I went vegetarian a while back, and I thought, wow, that would be a nice trophy to sort of have, but I was a little bit nervous about it coming off, it was just coming straight off. So I said, you know, I'll give it five little nudges, if it comes off in five, it, it's mine. And on the fifth one, just like fell right off perfectly. And I was like, wow. And I got it at our studio in Toronto. I haven't used it yet. I don't know if it's just energetically there in the space, almost like um, just holding that space down. But yeah, it's kind of a fascinating thing. And it's, it's beautiful as well. Um, and a little chunk can go a long way. So chaga is way. awesome. Like you can reboil it for tea every day for months and months. And it'll be this pure black tea it'd be right. super dark and you just keep boiling it over and over and over and there's so much chaga tea that you can get out of just a tiny, just little, a tiny chunk. little chunk so if you do harvest just a little bit keep it going you keep know going. don't don't just make one batch and compost it or throw it out you can keep that going for months if not a whole year um, off just a little chunk cool any other favorites other than we've mentioned now when it comes to uh, functional medicines what, what would you say are or up-and-comers that most people don't know about any any rising stars in your world rising stars for functional mushrooms would be 
you know, we work with 10. So uh, a couple other famous functional mushrooms would be shiitake, maitake, and turkey tail. So those probably would be the, the three other most famous. And they're, they're known for their 1316 beta glucans. So those immune supporting compounds. So in shiitake, lentinin is probably the most famous compound. And maitake, MD fraction is, is you know, that famous uh, 1316 beta glucan. And then for turkey tail is PSP and PSK. And all those compounds help support your immune system and help you feel in the best you could possibly be. The other fungi that we work with, one is Tremella, and that is really famous in the skincare industry. Uh, and it actually helps absorb water up to 400 times more than hydrolauric acid. So it's unbelievable for uh, supporting skin health and, and overall longevity and health. The other is Poria cocos or Wolfaporia extensa is the Latin name. And it, it is, it looks like a yam and it is a sclerotia. So it's similar to chaga in which it's not technically a mushroom. It's this resting stage in between mycelium and a mushroom. And that, you know, overall health and wellness for immune support and uh, supporting overall mood. And the other mushroom is Mishima. So Felinus lintius is the Latin name. And that's uh, great, actually roughly translates to women's island. And it grows on mulberry trees, uh, most famously in Japan. And it it's, you know, overall great for supporting immune health and uh, overall women's health and health and longevity. Very cool. And in your opinion, is it best to take these as a tincture because it's more concentrated? Like, can you just eat the mushrooms and get the same result? Or you have to eat a lot of them to get a similar benefit. And I see like other products in like coffees and teas and, you know, what is the best way to consume them? Is it however you can or? Yeah, totally. I mean, one is however you can, uh, any mushrooms is good, you know? Uh, so any, any little bit that you can, you can put in your diet or, you know, uh, your nutrient stack every single day is great, right? If you can get one step above that, if you can get um, the most potent, then that's even better, right? And so you will get some some supportive benefits by just eating shiitake or maitake, which you can find in the grocery store. There's other mushrooms or fungi like chaga or reishi or mishima uh, that are really hardy. You can't really cook them, right? You can't really eat them. Um, and so you need to extract them and there's tons of formats in which you can ingest mushrooms from tinctures to capsules to powder, et cetera, coffee. It's really what's easiest for you. We focused on tinctures because of the bioavailability piece. And so um, with, a, with a tincture, and they, they became really famous with the CBD industry, but tinctures have been used uh, forever, right? Yeah. And it, 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 uh, since like high-proof alcohol has been around and- what they do is you can absorb those functional compounds sublingually. So uh, in receptors in your mouth, which bypass the liver and enter your bloodstream a lot faster. And not only that, so they enter your bloodstream a lot faster, but um, since you know they're not encapsulated or um, XYZ, your body can actually absorb up to 95% of those functional compounds, whereas something that your, your body has to digest 
you're most likely probably only getting like 50% of those compounds. You're probably, you know, excreting the rest, right? And that's, that's a common problem with vitamins and supplements. So any way that we can help our body uh, bypass any of those, those processes, the better to make it more bioavailable to our body and enter the bloodstream a lot faster. So interesting. Um, and then from, from, I guess, a perspective of tinctures, because I've, I've tinkered with tinctures myself, um, like water extraction versus alcohol extraction, are there other extraction methods? What's the best? What's the difference and why? What, what did you guys choose to do? Do you guys do different extractions or do you guys stick yeah, with one? Yeah, we, we use alcohol and water and, you know, you can, there's a lot of solvents out there and I won't get super deep into the chemistry, but there's polar and non-polar compounds in, in functional mushrooms and they're, they're locked in these chitin walls and these really hardy structures. So we need to break them down to make them bioavailable. And so that's something as a consumer to look for if something is dual extracted um, or just extracted, period. There's a lot of powders out there that these companies will, one, not even use mushrooms. They'll use mycelium on grain. And then second, they'll just dehydrate them and blend them up into a, a powder. So multiple levels of just kind of a weak uh, so what's product. The, what's the difference between a single extraction and dual extraction? So some companies will just do a water extraction. So you're only getting those polar compounds uh, available. So those are the 1316 beta glucans. The non-polar are things like triterpenes and reishi, the cordycepin and cordyceps, um, those, you know, uh, triterpenes, uh, really, really non-sterile supportive compounds. And so you, you want a full spectrum uh, extraction from the fruiting body and um and that's only available if you you do a dual extraction the second one would be an alcohol so water and then alcohol or just do water twice no you it would be water and alcohol water so the water alcohol. is pulling half the compounds and the alcohol is pulling the other half that the water can pull yeah yeah i have a, i have a jar with some reishi and some organic uh alcohol it's been sitting under my cabinet for about 10 years now so i wonder can it can it go like is it too is there ever too long that it sits in an extraction will it ever go bad or just continue to for, extract? yeah alcohol is pretty stable so out of yeah. out of all the solvents alcohol is great because if it's over like 30 percent, you're good it's shelf stable it won't go bad um mm -hmm. we have an expiration date of two years to five years on our on our products but really if if someone buried our tincture and they found it in, in a couple hundred years, I'm sure it'll, it'll be fine. Um, yeah. You know. Right. Um, okay. So I just want to change gears for a bit. I know we're reaching close to the hour mark. Um, psychedelic mushrooms. I know there's a whole industry starting to sort of evolve around that for tools for um, mental health um, and other exploratory interests, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, is that something your company may dive into? Uh, what do you think the potentials are for that? Can you comment on that? Just curious your thoughts and where you guys are at with with that. Something I'm really passionate and interested in personally. I, I am as well. And you know, psilocybin-containing mushrooms have been crucial for my own health and well-being. And uh, you know, from macro dosing of taking three and a half to you know a lot of grams and uh, <laughs> curious and, what, what what's what's a lot for you well i i think the most i've ever taken was my first time 
And I, I literally to this day have no idea how much I took, but someone gave me a full red solo cup full of dried mushrooms and nice. told, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that's great. You don't have a you know, bag or anything. Uh, you're just going to hand it to me in a cup. And I asked, I was like, so how much is this? And he's like, well, it's for free if you eat it all on the spot. And oh, it's okay. the <laughs> first time I ever ate mushrooms, I, I had no idea what a dose was. And I'm like, okay, a cup is a dose. That's um, wow. like cooking. I was like, okay. And this was like week one of college, right? And so oh, it was, wow. I was in that college spirit of, okay, I got to prove myself or whatever. And I got to try some stuff. And, um, and so I ate them and was the most ego shattering just okay of course unbelievable <laughs> experience in the world and uh, there was no concept of me and it, i was i was the universe right and it was seeing and being the universe just creating and destructing before my eyes in a matter of split seconds i mean time everything was just an illusion it was it was being one with like the seventh dimension it was unbelievable <laughs> but you know i it's less this about before the dose. you were into mushrooms. Was was this before you? This were was on like the this. Pass? This was the on ramp. I was coming onto the highway, <laughs> you know, um, th and it helped a lot. It, I didn't uh -huh. have a an easeful journey into the mushroom space. I was, you know, I drop kicked my way through the door um, and have not turned back since. And I, I think psilocybin mushrooms, you know, I'll I'll microdose a lot, so that's you know like point two to point four grams. And it really is a lot of biohackers use this term of a 1% uh, improvement. And so a lot of people are looking for these massive improvements of your life. And those big trips can help, you know, um, kick, kick a, a bad habit or something. But those 1% is so important and crucial of just taking your normal perspective, your paradigm, and having a slight shift on it. So something that's mundane becomes really magical and special. Something, a habit that, you, or something you take for granted is something you, you, you're really grateful for or a habit that you haven't really thought about being bad or unhelpful for your, your dreams or your life. You, you have that perspective shift and you're like, you know what, that's not the healthiest. Uh, and maybe I should change that. And it's so subtle that we can really make these habits. You know, it's hard to make really radical shifts in our life and have them stick. But those one percent every day, you'll look back in in a year, and you'll be three hundred sixty-five percent better, right? And right. it's gradual. It's really easeful. So I love microdosing, but there's a there's a time and place for macrodosing as well. If um, you're stuck and you just need you need to drop kick through the door. Um, and right. you just need to have mushrooms rattle your cage and bring you back home. Yeah. To just, your... I've, I've, yeah. I find it so fascinating that, you know, they're, they, they do things at such a small dose and they also do things at a super large dose. And I also find interesting that, you know, from, from the best of our knowledge, you cannot overdose on them. There is no upper limit that becomes toxic. You know, I've, I've, I've found fascinating some of the talks from Kalindi Yee, uh, I even had Kyle Kingsbury on my podcast before talking about his 30 gram experience, which kind of inspired me to do a 16 gram experience with penis envy, um, which, you know, also ego shattering and, and quite interesting to say the least. Um, but brings me to the question is like, what do you think like the, the purpose of, of these experiences are like, you know, like one of the, one of the things that sort of came to me on my macro dose was 
you know, I, I had this vision of a hunter gatherer thousands, millions of years ago, very hungry, finding a field of psychedelic mushrooms, a mushroom patch. Yeah. And it was like, okay, if you're hungry, how much are you going to eat? Well, until you're full, a lot. until yeah. you're full. And then, wow, just like, imagine what that was like, not even knowing, like, you probably think you're dead, you know, like what, what's happened, but like, boom, shift in consciousness, open to new possibilities, maybe, you know, evolution of mankind, who knows, right? I could talk about this for the next five hours, but <laughs> since we're short on time, you know, that is a theory called the Stone Deep Theory by Terrence McKenna. And he first mm -hmm. proposed that, that psilocybin containing mushrooms were crucial for our human evolution, right? And so when we were hunters and gatherers, hadn't even developed language yet, we stumbled upon mushrooms, whether following dung of an animal that we were trying to hunt, saw the mushrooms popping out of the dung, we're super hungry because we hadn't caught that animal yet. Uh, and because we we're so hungry, stuffed our face with these mushrooms and had this incredible experience. And through that, and through millions of years of neurogenesis, uh, and trying to communicate that with our, our fellow brothers and sisters or whatever, um, we had to develop language and religion and, and uh, ev evolution. However, a lot of people will, you know, uh, put a lot of significance to psilocybin containing mushrooms of like, why are they here? Are they here to, as a plan B for humans to evolve our consciousness and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, not at all. Um, we are not the star of the show. And that is one of the cosmic jokes of mushrooms is they're super humbling. And it's like, no, drop your spiritual ego. You ain't shit. Like, sorry for my, excuse I my French, <laughs> but, but you, you don't mean anything. You're just a tiny speck of the universe. And psilocybin actually evolved hundreds of millions of years before the first early humanoid ever existed on the planet. And they're really, they evolved um, to control insects. So similar to cordyceps, and I think it was a pre-mechanisms bef before the evolution of cordyceps is that, you know, a million years ago, fungi were, were coming on the planet. They created this symbiosis with plants that I started talking about before. And about 420 million years ago, insects started coming on the planet and, drill, you know, making holes in the earth and nibbling at those fungi and the plant roots. And so in defense these fungi created all these drug-like compounds, these amphetamines, um, you know, a precursor to LSD uh, and psilocybin, right? And so we have hundreds of millions of years of documentation of fungi excreting psilocybin into insects to control their behavior. And so that's why it started. It's not to, it's not to have us tripped out, right? It's not for humans. Like, mushrooms are not for humans at all we but just it, happen to stumble upon the planet and stumble it, upon them but it, yeah it's so interesting because it's also interesting where it takes you you know what i mean to think that like our our bodies physically and even our minds and wherever that takes place you know something otherworldly happens in this in this sort of like connection that we have with that sort of substance so it's, yeah. it's mind-boggling to me to continue to explore and and ponder like you know like like what you just told me i news to me and, you know and, and, and our bodies actually evolved to consume and support psilocybin so i mean if we look at our serotonin system the serotonin molecule is just like one do hanging off of psilocybin and psilocybin is just one do hanging away from 
dimethyltryptamine or DMT, which your body naturally produces. And so through our evolution, we actually evolved to have the the um, key opening for the psilocybin to enter our system and interact or psilocin um, to interact with our system. And so we evolved for mushrooms, not the other way around. And, and so it's, it really speaks to our lack of evolution that we cannot interact with the world as, as much as these fungi can or other organisms. We can't speak with them. We, we don't know what the hell is going on in the forest and, and these ecosystems. So as we evolve, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we drop our egos and we can just create more of a symbiosis with the, with the ecosystems around us and, you know, realize that we're not the star of the show. We're just a speck. And, but we have such significance on the way we can disrupt these systems um, and a lot of people say like, you know, we got to save the world. We got to save the planet. Right. And I get caught in this trip a lot with us planting trees and we're like, oh, like pat on the back, like, great. We're saving the planet, but the planet will be fine. Right. Mm. It's saving homo sapiens, right. We'll nuke each other out and there's extreme organisms like tardigrades and fungi that'll eat the radioactive waste and be totally thriving in a nuclear fallout, right? Uh, and it's humans that will go extinct and the world will will recreate biodiversity again and we'll be fine. So, you know, I, I think we can utilize psilocybin to help prevent that nuclear fallout <laughs> and for us killing each other and, and to just stop hating each other and, you know, just freaking love each other already. But um, so I think it's a tool, but I don't think fungi are here for us, right? Um, but we we can we can form a relationship, and and I think, you know, um, we have the receptors. We evolved it, and uh, I think, you know, it's a beautiful relationship. Amazing, yeah, really well put. Um, okay, last question for me is: Is there any question that um, I didn't ask you that you you wish I would have, or something that you want to share that we haven't touched on? I guess just the definition of a, a mushroom. Right. All right. Um, Let's keep it so simple. Maybe we should have like started there. 101. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of We're people don't know what yet. it is. Yeah, a lot of people don't know what it is. And a lot of people have no idea what mycology is or fungi. So, you know, fungi are its own kingdom or queendom, as a lot of people like to say, totally different from plants, totally different from animalia, totally different from bacteria. They're their own kingdom or queendom. Um, and so they, include yeasts and molds uh, and mushrooms that we know, like the emoji on our phone, right? That cap and stem stereotypical mushroom. And most people don't know that they interact with fungi on a daily basis. So we're constantly, every breath that we take are, are inhaling hundreds, if not thousands of mushroom spores. And most people like, I had a breakfast sandwich this morning and that had bread in it and there's yeast in that bread. And so most people, consume fungi on a daily basis, or probably at the end of the day, I'll have a beer, right? And that has yeast in it. Um, and so most people consume and fungi are a crucial point of their life and they don't even know it, right? Um, and so they, there's estimated 5 million species in, on this planet of fungi that, um, and, and we've only discovered 120,000 of those 5 million species of fungi. And 
most people just think mushrooms, right? The cap and stem, but most, uh, they interact without a mushroom. So like a yeast or a mold without that cap and stem, um, like mushrooms. So out of those 120,000 of fungi that we have described, only 14,000 of those actually produce that mushroom, that fruiting body that we know. Um, and so it's a really small percentage. Um, and most are just hiding underneath the soil. You know, we have up to 60 different species of fungi in our mouth, believe it or not, on our skin, in our gut. Like we have a whole microbiome in our system um, in addition to the microbiome, that, that bacteria in our system that are, is crucial to support our health and wellness. And, you know, out of that 14,000, about 50% are un- inedible, like chaga or a conch, you know, it, you'll break your teeth if you try to eat that. Um, and 25% are edible, but they're not that great. You know, if you're in a survival situation, you could probably eat it, but you won't say yum afterwards. Uh, and 20%, you can eat it, but it'll give you a stomach ache. It, you know, you probably won't want to eat it again. Um, you'll be holding your stomach for the next few hours. And I'm, uh, I'm sure your significant other will, will, uh, want to plug their nose or something. And, um, 4% are super tasty. They're, they're delectable. You'll see them in farmer's markets and, in you know, high-end, uh, restaurants and um, grocery stores, things like that. So it's only 4% and only 1% will send you to the hospital, right? They'll severely harm you. Um, and only about a dozen will kill you. So, and, and surprisingly, there's more poisonous plants than there are poisonous mushrooms. They just get a bad rep for those dozen or so that will kill you. Um, and so definitely if you're looking for mushrooms, consult an expert. There's guidebooks that you can do. There's Facebook groups, there's local mushroom foraging groups that you can um, consult, but mushrooms are incredible. Fungi are the humble stewards of our ecosystems. And I'm, I'm just super excited to share this with people. And I hope I rub off on uh, my mushroom love on other people. And just next time you go out in the woods, just look, and I'm sure you'll see eight bazillion types of fungi and mushrooms that you've never even seen in your life. And, um, you'll be infected for life. You'll, it'll never go away. Hopefully. Awesome. Awesome. That was, that was fantastic. Okay. So in closing here, I guess, um, what's next for Alex and mushroom revival and how do people get a hold of you and connect with you and your podcast and all that stuff? Yeah, we will continue growing. We'll continue to plant trees. We'll be continue to push out as much free mushroom content as possible. You can find us. The easiest would be our website, mushroomrevival.com. And um, you can find our podcast on all streaming platforms um, and also on our, on, our, on our website. It's Mushroom Revival Podcast. And we have a ton of blogs on our site as well. We post about 12 a month and there's recipes, there's 101s, uh, health uh, information, everything you can imagine. So um, you could also find us on all social media platforms as well. And if you, if you want to try our, our functional mushroom products, you can use the coupon code elemental. It's all uppercase letters and that's for 15% off your first purchase. And uh, please reach out anytime. As you can tell, more than happy to talk about mushrooms with anyone, anytime and always here for you. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for, for spending this time and educating and dropping some of your knowledge. I'm super excited to try some of your products. I'm definitely going to be the first to use the elemental code and uh, grab some. Um, and everyone who's watching, um, check out Alex's podcast. It's also called Mushroom Revival. Mushroom Revival Podcast. Podcast. Keeping it easy. Yeah. Keeping it easy. <laughs> okay, guys. So thanks for all the support, comments, likes, follows. I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Alex. And thank you to the Mushroom Kingdom and Mother Earth and, and all the amazing gifts that it gives us on a daily basis. So until next time, guys, Geo signing off. And uh, our guest, Alex, thank you once again. Much love.